Hey, and welcome back to episode seven of the Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Today, we talk with a special guest, one of the most influential coffee market researchers in the world, Hannah Rieske. Hannah is the head of global coffee research at Volcafe, the coffee trading branch of EDNF Man. Volcafe is one of the largest and most renowned coffee trading houses in the world, with origin offices in every major coffee origin and a strong presence in every major destination market. Hannah has been with Volcafe for 10 years. She brings an analytical background, an unparalleled network, a keen eye, and a cool head to her coffee research. It is my privilege and pleasure to get a chance to speak with her and talk about what is one of the most dynamic and dramatic times in the coffee market. We have a market that is inverted to levels not seen in 20 plus years. Global supply disruptions, unprecedented inflation, the lowest certified inventory levels seen since the 1990s, and the worst Brazilian weather problems seen in a generation. Helping us sort through it all is the incomparable, the incredible, the distinguished Hannah Rieske. All right, so Hannah, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Uh, really appreciate uh, you making the time for us. It's always uh, a pleasure uh, to get it to chat with you about coffee. Very welcome, Ryan. All right. So uh, I wonder, you know, I've known you for a few years and I, I've known you by reputation uh, beforehand. Uh, my, uh, I have a, a mentor, uh, Neil, uh, who I think uh, we, we know in common. Uh, he's a good friend, a uh, good, good coffee person. He spoke very highly of you. Um, but would you, uh, would you be kind enough to kind of walk me through how you got into the coffee business, um, how you, you sort of, uh, how your path led you to where you are today, and, and tell us a little bit about your role now uh, uh, at Volcafe. Sure, absolutely. So I sort of fell into the world of commodities. It wasn't something that I planned or as I was a child thinking of, <laughs> right, I must uh, start working in commodities. It's a wonderful world. To be fair, I actually knew very little about commodities until I started at EDNF Man, which is almost 11 years ago. Wow. Um, I actually started as an intern in the research department covering sugar. Okay. And um, so just prior to joining EDNF Man, I had graduated, so I did a I did maths at university, statistics at university, and I graduated just as the financial collapse occurred. Uh, and so yes. I had a graduate scheme lined up in a in a very notable bank that was too big to fail at the time. Oof. And so that went downhill very quickly. <laughs> so um, I was I was a bit lost as to what I should do. And then there was this tiny little advert in a, in a magazine looking for an analyst to join a financial consultancy firm that was actually run by an expert witness who used to be a bond trader. Oh. And we would go to, so, so I, hired, I was hired into this job, a very, very small firm, but it gave me a lot of exposure to financial markets, including commodities and all different asset classes actually at the time. Um, and there was a little court case to do with sugar futures prices rallying at the time. And it was actually due to a default from a producer and a lot of the brokers were closing out the positions all in um, aggregation. And it was quite a large sugar producer at the time. And so sugar future prices spiked. And there was a case surrounding that that we were hired to do a bit more um, analysis around. And that really is what introduced me to the world of commodities and particular soft commodities. Mm. And it was quite fascinating at what drives markets and what can move markets. And during the case proceedings, I got to knew, know a few of the um, people that worked at different trade houses. And 
kind of led me into um, joining at Needed F Man as an intern because I was still studying for my master's at the time right. whilst working during the day. Um, and then the rest is history, as they say. And I <laughs> particularly wanted to go down the research route because it was a bit more analytical, which is what I was familiar with. Yeah. Um, and not so much the physical trading side, which I knew very little about. Now, I don't want to break your flow here, but were your studies, you mentioned statistics and maths, was that at all finance related or was it like physics and astronomy or was it like uh, more um, real it, world? <laughs> it wasn't very applied. It wasn't very applied yeah. to the um, real world. It wasn't financial mathematical modeling at all. Mm. Um, I did a lot of elements of stochastic modeling. So okay. I guess that side of things was financial, um, but really most of my degree was very theoretical mm. it was very kind of the proofs mathematical proofs and um very boring stuff actually <laughs> <laughs> well apparently you didn't think so you majored in it um but that's cool because um you know i think there's so much uh sort of there's a lot of qualitative opinions and and views in in coffee i guess that's probably true in commodities in general so it's refreshing mm -hmm. to kind of hear that and that, honestly my background is more in that zone as well um, but I try to be very disciplined about applying math and right. numbers to, to what it is that we're talking about. So it's refreshing to hear. And I'm sure that served you well in your time as a, uh, as a researcher. Yes, it's also the, the logic modules that you do and the decision making mm -hmm. modules. This is all a very much a mathematical foundation that you can then apply when it comes to analyzing a lot of real world situations that we come across. Right. And um, if you can just, um, what's your official title at EDF Man? Are you head of coffee research or head of global research or what's the, what's the, what's your? It's, uh, so at the moment, I'm head of coffee research at Vol okay. Company. Okay, cool. Yeah. And was there a was there a mentor there for you, or did you like someone who kind of walked you through this process, or were you kind of thrown into the deep end? How did that? Um, how did that play so out? I mean, the role came about because my predecessor was leaving, hmm. who is also a very well knowledgeable um, coffee veteran or analyst and we did have some overlap for about two months um unfortunately it wasn't long enough yeah. but he sort of imparted as much knowledge and wisdom as he could um and i benefited thoroughly from that because i actually didn't have a background in coffee and it's very different to sugar sure. i mean i say it's very different i guess on the physical aspect side of things it's very different um but fundamentally trading any commodity the supply and demand, it all comes down to the same thing, really knowing if there's an oversupply or um, an undersupply of a particular good. Sure. Yeah, I I've, I've have a little bit of exposure to sugar uh, from my time in the hedge fund. Um, and uh, I just noticed I've got a glowing sun behind me. It looks overcast here, but it looks like Jesus is behind me when I'm right. Yeah, it's, it's a good look. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, it, with sugar, they were saying uh, I know hedge flows was like a much bigger thing uh, with sugar trade flows. Um, whereas I guess coffee, maybe it lasts longer. I'm not exactly sure. It, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so sugar also, I guess the biggest difference between sugar and coffee is the uh, expiry details. So sugar okay. is very much an FOB contract um, and the expiries, you effectively don't even know what origin you're going to get until the last day, until you're told allocated at the last trading day mm. um, of the contract. Whereas in coffee, it's very much an in-store CIF type based contract where you can see quite visibly um, what coffee is available right. at any given moment. 
so you've had some time to, uh, well, I guess more than a decade to, to develop your, your skills as a, as a coffee researcher, as a coffee analyst. Um, maybe you've, maybe you've trained some interns or you've seen, you've certainly interacted with a lot of other researchers. So I like to, I'm a theoretical guy myself. Um, mm -hmm. I know you, you come from a theoretical background. Uh, so I like to kind of bring it a little bit abstract. What are the traits that you found on a human level that have been sort of beneficial to you as an analyst and that you've observed in other analysts who you respect, um, and researchers mm -hmm. in the coffee industry? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I think just being curious has mm -hmm. been something that uh, I think makes for um, good. Yeah, so being curious and having the intellectual curiosity to understand things and why things are occurring or why things are not quite going how you're expecting them to go. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're all very good at analysts and understanding data and what it means. But then sometimes being able to understand why it's not really applied in theory, in theory, it's one thing. And when you see it applied, it's not quite what you're expecting. So being curious as to why that's occurred or why it hasn't occurred and wanting to get a bit more of a broader picture on mm. certain things and not just have a tunnel vision or a very not be overly confident as well in, in anything yeah. that we understand or know of because you can never really know it all. Mm. So to, to be um, humble with everything that we do, but I think, yeah, that's always helped and to, to almost pretend like you know nothing or yeah. be as, um, uh, as elementary as possible and really just want to, someone that has, is quite eager to learn mm. and has the drive to, to learn and not go in there thinking I know what I'm doing and, I, and I'm very good at what I do. Yeah. Um, so those are just sort of, let's say, high level characteristics on more um, an analytical person, perhaps. Mm. The, what I've experienced over the years and, and those that I've trained over the years that are sort of good at asking questions. I think it's really important mm. to ask questions and try and understand why, and then um, be quick learners. <laughs> it's a very fast paced environment. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that goes along with being curious, right? The asking questions. Um, and it's mm. interesting. I, that's, that's the first time I've heard curious. And I think it's almost, uh, and it's a really good answer. Um, you know, I think we we tend to it go, kind of goes along with humility too, right? Because mm. we want to be like very confident, like oh, this is what you have to do, whatever. But it it does imply sort of a a humility. You have to be willing to say I'm wrong and what what is the mm -hmm. truth, right? And that mm -hmm. that's a that's a, a great Absolutely. answer. Um, you know, I I I kind of wanted to talk about the humility and confidence aspect, I guess, for a second because it's mm -hmm. it's funny. When you start, especially, at least me, I was so insecure about not knowing anything. It's almost like the, the newer people are the more confident and um, more sure of themselves, right? Because they have something to prove. And as you kind of maybe gain experience in, in the industry, you kind of have to take a step back and um, say, okay, maybe I, maybe I don't know everything. <laughs> Right. It's a funny thing. It's like the more I learn and the more I understand things the, and I sit back and reflect and, and I think, well, gosh, I actually know nothing. You know, the, it's, it's a weird sort of dynamic. You feel like I've been doing this for a decade, as you say. Yeah. Um, but really, I feel like there's a whole hundred more years I could learn about the commodity sphere and not mm. quite know it all. 
because yeah. every like that's a fun thing i guess about commodities is that there's always a different variable or a different dynamic um, that drives the market that's never quite what it is historically so i mm. think it's important to have that humility to, to you'll never really know it all it's a good point it's always evolving right i mean if someone could figure it out i mean it's because the market is a reactive thing mm. right it's sort of a living thing so it's like as as the world understands something and incorporates that then the market now has to look like two steps beyond that and like find the, the next thing to, to drive exactly. it right exactly um so uh let me what's up so you have uh several different key audiences that you're talking to um and i guess being part of a, a multinational like uh, like Vol Cafe, um, you have a lot of different personalities, a lot of different people in origin and stuff. So I was going to ask you about um, tailoring your audience, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. But this is just kind of reminding me also, you know, I guess that must be beneficial too to sort of building your view as a as a trader, uh, uh, analyst, and a researcher. Um, is your ability to talk to all these different people in different origins and such. Do you, is that part of your process where you're kind of, I mean, having all those resources uh, available to you, is that, is that right. go into how you, you think about the global uh, environment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, but I feel it's a privilege to have mm -hmm. access to all those different sources uh, in the origins and um understand a little bit better of what is happening on all these areas. I mean, I sit in London in an office in the city with no idea how weather in any of these origins is actually um, right. transpiring, as an example, or just um, the flow of coffee during harvesting time mm. or the people's perception or farmer's perception. I mean, we have a whole separate agronomy department that do an excellent job, but they can't be everywhere all the time. Mm. And there's so many different varied origins that produce coffee um, and it's different seasons and different times of the year. So having that origin connection mm. to a fair amount of origins, not just um, Robusta producing origins in Asia, but having a really good direct link, it absolutely helps form an, a view or opinion or really just gives you a sense check of something that you may believe is going to happen but you hear something very different on the ground. And one thing is where you can hear things on in the origin. And other things is um, when you kind of, you get feedback from actual things that have happened from the origin, because mm. whilst we live in a world where data and transparency, and you know, you can find out anything from wherever you right. are. Coffee is a, is uh, you know one of those commodities which is grown in the most remote interior parts of you know png mm. which actually you don't have the best data that's available at your fingertips or you don't have instagram posts showing you the condition of the png crop so it's really important that we speak to our guys that run the factories and origin in in png as an example mm. to get a sense of what they're hearing of the flow and um farmer perceptions as well you know that they're, they're all very a good close-knit community as right. well that, that helps get that perception which i wouldn't be able to do and mm. i i certainly don't have um infinite number of contacts or time to come yeah. to, to get to know everyone and that's yeah. where teamwork's really important absolutely 
Um, you know, and it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause I think PNG was, um, is basically, I mean, it's so remote, right. I mean, I think they, yeah. it was only like really integrated into the global economy in the fifties the or something, you know, re- ridiculous. Like yeah, that. exactly. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I always look at it as like, you know, going to origin for a reality check. I'm like, Hey, they're, they're going to tell me what's, what's real. But do you ever, have you ever had it be the other way around where there's like a misperception on the ground where maybe something seems like more intense to the people who are there. And maybe you have a, a different perspective from abroad. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really good question. Actually, there, there's quite a few examples where sometimes you see the origin guys focus on just a particular region in an origin, mm-hmm. which, and every region, you know, um, has isolated microclimates, for example, like in in Colombia. And so you focus on a region in terms of our business and origination from a particular part of the country, Mm. but we're not seeing the full picture or the whole country. And and our job in research is to understand what is the entire country's view or production potential. And you can have situations where and this is where experience comes in um, quite handy. So you do, by constantly speaking to the origins and mm. frequently speaking to the origins, you're able to determine that, okay, I know that particular origin will always talk about a particular region. And you take it with not a pinch of salt because what they're saying about the region is very accurate, but they're not able to either because they don't have um, contacts in other parts of the region, they're not able to give you a whole view of what's happened in an area. And coffee is very much like that. You know, we have yeah. small scale farmers and uh, small farmholders, um, and every region can be very different. And you can have weather effects, some parts of the same country, very different to other parts of the country, notably the Brazilian frost. And, and you know, absolutely. So, to, to have as much um, understanding of an origin and who you're speaking to mm. and what their biasness are, or maybe kind of like an unconscious bias they yeah. have also makes a big difference. And being able to factor that into all the data and the views that we get constantly. Yeah, that's so, it's funny. That's a, a good point. You, you mentioned the, the Brazilian frost. I think that's a, a great example. Um, Cause I remember when that happened, it, um, the phrase that comes to mind and not to get too dark here, but is, is fog of war. Um, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I remember when it happened that, you know, the forecast was pretty dire from what I recall. Like it was pretty clear, at least the, the couple of days prior, this was a, a serious risk here. And then the morning of, it was kind of like some people and talking to people who were there on the ground, some people were saying, it's no big deal. It's overblown mm-hmm. as usual limited damage. And then other people were saying massive damage. And it wasn't really until a few hours into the day that we kind of started to get clarity on what was, what was going on. Yeah. And that's exactly it because it's such a big region that was Mm. affected by it, depending on where your viewpoint was or where you were standing, even in a part of like Virginia, you could get a completely different view on how bad or how good that frost has been. Yeah. Good frost. Yeah. Well, if you're long, I guess it's good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to get to my original question here. Um, so 
you have uh, a lot of different people that you have to speak to in your business. Um, you know, you've got management and risk managers, you have individual traders in different groups. Um, maybe you talk to agronomists too. I don't know. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, and of course your clients, you know, they, a lot of different roasters depend on Vol Cafe to, to provide them with, with good information. Do you tailor how you're presenting to the different groups and, and, and what are the, some of the, like the key things that you focus on when you're talking to say traders versus a prop desk, um, versus roasters, for example. I think the, the word is detail, uh, how much detail you really mm. go into depending on your audience. And so whilst everyone we speak to has a very good understanding of coffee and the market and, and what drives it and what doesn't, when we speak to internally the prop traders, um, we're looking at a bit more day-to-day -day detail or what's changed mm. over the course of yesterday or what's what's on the horizon in terms of a week from now because it's very much prop trading is more in and out on a more frequently basis sure if we talk to um more of the origin guys again it depends on where they're based and how much of a, a spec book they have or what sort of position they're hedging at, the, at that particular time mm. but indeed we would then tailor the worst thing you want to do is bombard people with information that they're not right. is not really going to impact their day-to-day -day life. So when we're talking to Arabica traders, you very much focus on the Arabica market, but you can't neglect Robusta because mm. it's also interlinked and intertwined. When you have a very large audience, um, and again, internally, we have different traders and different origins, and we do monthly um, S&D calls. And there you don't go into a lot of details. It's a sort of an hour and a half call and, it, and we keep it very high level. Yeah. And we really just want to talk about the themes that are developing over the course of the next two to three weeks sort of thing, or even a month ahead. So, and then when we're talking to um, management, they really just want to know a few details on what's the biggest risk that could be on the horizon mm. and how do we plan for it type of thing. So there, there's different audiences have different interests and you do absolutely need to tailor it because the the worst thing you can do is lose your audience by yeah. boring them to death <laughs> and which is very easy to do in, uh, in coffee right <laughs> gosh yeah I have plenty of experience of that yeah. um and so you and sometimes frankly there's just not something that exciting to grasp your audience mm. attention and you have to but you need to get a point across so yeah, I think that's been the most challenging part. I'm not naturally confident and nor do I like presenting. It's probably one of mm. the worst things about my role for me. Oh. Well, you're um, very good at it. I've seen them. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very kind. But that's been something that I've you know really had to work on over the years. Mm. And so um, when you speak to external clients and roaster clients, you also need to understand uh, sort of what type of roasters are they? What coffee do they roast? Mm. What coffee do they source? Because you don't want to talk to a big robusta buyer about what's happening in PNG because they don't source it. Right. So you need to know your audience well. You mm. also, you need to give opportunity for questions in those type of meetings. Whereas when you're talking to management, they will come at you with questions and challenges. Mm. Whereas you want to create opportunity for, for questions in other audiences because you want to also learn something at the same time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. You, you, you tailor your presentations depending on the amount of detail that you believe the audience will be interested in. 
Yeah, that's it. I mean, you make some really interesting points. I think some of it ties back to what you were saying about working with with origin. And mm -hmm. and what kind of comes to mind is that it sounds like you really try to keep it as a conversation, right? Like right. it's yeah. not one way, right? It's like I'm checking with them and they're checking in yes. with me. Um, yeah. And I also really like uh, how you started with detail, um, which I know is something I, I struggle with. <laughs> I've had some uh, some clients tell me like, Ryan, you start talking about support and resistance levels, you know, you lose people. You start talking about the COT. They're like, I don't care about that. I don't know about yes. it. So yeah. you have to kind of really know what it is that the. Absolutely. Yeah. But there could be a lot of interest or a lot of information in a COT report that mm. you want people to be aware of and you need to talk about it but it's just being able to adapt um, the level of detail that you're going into mm. and I often during presentations say I want to go off on a bit of a tangent here because I know the audience may not be familiar with a COT report mm. or something that they look at once a month type of thing yeah so you kind of need to grab their attention once again yeah. you got to prep them yeah <laughs> get you ready prep them. Yeah. yeah. Like, i only need two minutes of your time <laughs> this is something you need to know yeah absolutely yeah. so speaking of detail um to get into the weeds a little bit uh one of the things that um i think one of the the, the big advantages of working with uh, a trade house a physical trader you know like fall cafe like any of the big uh trade houses is um connection to the physical trade right so mm -hmm. specifically differentials which is you know something that uh it's been, it was one of my my more popular posts i was surprised uh, i was talking about physical coffee prices and and how that works and everything um and and a lot of you know it's not if you're not in the trade um then i think it's those prices are a bit opaque right it's not like they're just published like the same way that the futures market is right um are you looking at differentials as part of your analysis and you say like okay hey some the differentials are telling me something here or mm. um or making predictions on the way on how diffs will will behave absolutely yes so one of the advantages again of working for a trade house that has all these different origins is you get a good idea of what um, differentials are doing at any given time. Mm. So we try and focus a lot of our time is taken up in research to get the most accurate differential. Now I say accurate because sometimes right. there's, as you say, it's not very transparent. It's not something that's reported uh, uh, regularly and often. And um, you end up asking a trader sometimes on what they see their differential. Now, depending if that trader already has a position, <laughs> they may say a differential is at X. Yeah. Um, and it may be much higher than the market because they're longer. <laughs> yeah. That physical copy. So we try and get as many different sources of information as we can entirely on the differential because there is a lot of information contained in the differential, just like there is a lot mm. of information contained in the futures price. And um, primarily we use that differential and especially how the differentials have evolved through time mm. um, in over a month, a week, or, or even daily. We use that differential to get a better sense of the supply and demand of a particular origin. So if you see that differentials are collapsing at quite some stealth or it, you know, they're moving quite vigorously, you know that there's a lot of supply available at the time. And it helps get a, it's a sense check for what our fundamental data is showing yes. or whether it gives a better, you know, we're projecting that the harvest peak is um, in the month of July, for example, for, for Brazil. So if we see differentials 
collapsing in the month of July in particular regions. And it sort of says, okay, we're at the peak harvest period now and, and the farmer is selling that coffee. If they're not collapsing, there's also a story in it as well. And so okay, mm. why are they not collapsing if we're in the peak harvest? So differential data is, is just as important, if not more important than the futures price. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in a way, it's a more, um, it's kind of, a, I guess, again, kind of a reality check on, yeah. on what's actually happening. I realized I'm, I'm getting away from all of my prepared questions I sent you. So I want to make sure that you get uh, some of those in as well. Um, now you have, uh, uh, we, we had a little bit of a laugh about this before, but you, you have um, worked with a lot of uh, traders uh, of varying calibers, probably some great traders and probably some traders who, you know, needed, needed a little bit more mentoring. Right. Um, so, and, and I imagine, you know, the good ones, I would imagine, rely heavily on you and your research, right, uh, and, and trying to know uh, what's going on in the world. Um, so what are the, what, through your observations, what have you seen uh, in terms of traits of good traders? Like, what, is, what are some of the commonalities that you've seen among them? Right. Yeah. It's, it's a really good question considering I'm not actually a trader. <laughs> if traders are hearing them. They'll be they're hearing this. They'll be saying, Oh, okay. How Hannah has a view. huh?" So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a really interesting one. I think I have worked with some very good traders, I must say um, in, in the course of my time here and some not so great traders as well. <laughs> if I can say that, I think there is a common theme um, amongst good traders uh, is is um, understanding risk that they're mm. taking and being able to manage that risk quite properly. It's um, a calculated risk. I mean, at the end of the day, trading is a high risk um, occupation. Right. And uh, understanding why a, a particular position has been taken, mm. um, the duration of that position, and all of the risk that's entailed in the position that's there. So when they're kind of doing their homework, understanding the fundamentals um, before taking the position, not after taking the position. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then being able to justify the position when it's moving against them, mm. but also knowing that we have an exit strategy mm. if it goes all horribly wrong. And then sometimes um, some of the very good traders have also sat back and reflected on what's gone wrong, but equally what's gone well. I think it's very easy to sit and discuss what went wrong and why it went wrong. Um, but some of sometimes just to sit and think, okay, we did that well, or, or I did that well. And was it as planned or <laughs> was there some luck involved there yeah. too? Um, and that's that's much harder to do because you're often thinking, well, of course, that made sense. That's why I put on the position in the first place. Right. But there are always a lot of exogenous drivers to these markets. And they're always I think a good trader is one that can take a loss. Um, I don't think you can call yourself a trader until you've lost money, frankly, because you yeah. learn from it. And that's a really good learning opportunity. Um, and I think just lastly, not being too emotional mm. those that not being psychopathic either and having right. zero emotion but to not fall in love with a position is a term that's always used mm. um but to keep the emotions out of it 
and it shouldn't be an emotional trade if you know why that trade is on in the first place mm. it should be a logically clear defined trade and there's not always brilliant opportunities at the market there's not always obvious opportunities in the market but traders that understand the risks that they're taking mm. are usually the ones that in my view um have been quite successful and also understanding the fundamental data i mean that's why we're commodity traders right without asking questions i mean sorry not without asking questions with asking questions as to why the fundamentals are a particular way making sure they understand what's being presented mm. where if there are any big assumptions that we've in research have taken they understand those assumptions um but don't get bogged down in the details because sometimes then it puts you off making any trading decisions because if you if you kind of over overanalyze excuse me mm. um then it sort of prevents you from doing anything right analysis paralysis right that's it yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah, but that was a great answer. Uh, a lot of different things to 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 kind of work through there. Uh, risk seems to have been a big theme, um, I think, in your re response there, um, and that definitely. Um, I always tell uh, my students, I say, you know, uh, as commodity traders, your your function is to take to take risk. That's the mm -hmm. the purpose of a trader, Absolutely. right? Um, so yeah, they definitely have to understand that and be and be comfortable with it. Um, and emotions is, uh, something that, you know, I definitely underestimated as a, as a young trader, um, you know, mm -hmm. how that would, would impact me, <clears throat> you know, once you're re responsible for a P and L right. And that can kind of, it goes both ways, right. Either I'm the greatest or I'm the worst, right. <laughs> um, yeah, and, yeah. and, and figuring out how to manage that is, is definitely, yeah. uh, important. I mean, if you can tell if you've had a good or bad trading day based on your emotion at the end of the day, mm. that's probably not a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And uh, you mentioned two other things that were I thought were were worth highlighting. Um, uh, one is the uh, you sort of turned something on its head, uh, for me at least, uh, which is you said you have to look at what went right. You know, and I, I would have thought that what went right would be the thing that you would want to look at. Um, but you, you made the, a good point, which is that when something goes right, you kind of want to say, well, it went right because I'm smart and I did everything correctly. Right. <laughs> um, but, but maybe that's not the, the, the truth. Right. And, and, and so that's, that's worth, uh, worth checking that out, worth looking at. Um, all right. And I, I forgot what the other thing was that was uh, good. So we'll have to check the tape on that <laughs> later. But uh, it's because you mentioned so many good ones. <laughs> so um, there's a few current events things I wanted to get to. We'll see what we can cover uh, before we get to our last uh, five or 10 minutes here, because I do love to save my, my coffee market crystal ball uh, for the end. So we'll, we'll ask you to to pull out your, your crystal ball and your gold hoop earrings and uh, uh, gypsy outfit here. Sure. Um, <laughs> so certified inventories has been, mm -hmm. I think, a key driver in the market lately, uh, maybe, maybe always, but uh, it's certainly been in the news. It's been interesting. Um, and um, it's been that, um, I think we're at 20 year something lows. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're at levels where I have to talk to people in previous trader generations to find out what was happening uh, the last time we right, were at this right. kind of levels. So 
how do you see this playing out over the next few months? Uh, we just saw some, uh, you know, crazy drawdowns, uh, you know, 30,000 bags or whatever the other day. Um, are we going to, are we going to, it seems like we're going down to 750 or below. Um, when, when will we see new certified inventory show up and, and how do you see that uh, playing out and how do you think it'll impact price? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So, I mean, for me, who's only been in the coffee industry for five years, this is also very uh, an interesting period um, yeah. to be around. And you are really talking to the older guys to understand, well, what was happening in 2010 and what was happening in 1999 and what mm. happened in the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're filling through all this data. Did you um, say five years? Five years in coffee, yeah. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so that's, it's, it's a really interesting one. Yeah, we have certified stocks, as you say, at, at these 22 year lows. The last time we were at these levels was in wow. January 1999. I had to get the data up. I didn't have it <laughs> available. Yeah. And um, there's a few reasons as to why we're here as well. And that's important to to understand that, you know, the coffee market has been in a current a very big deficit mm. so there is this shortage of supply against demand which has been shaken because of the pandemic and now more the food crisis and inflation and everything sure. else so imagine where we'd be if those events hadn't have taken place mm. um so there is a shortage. So the thing with certified stocks is it's the job of the market to replenish those certified stocks. And because with Arabica, we've kind of always had, let's say, comfortable certified stocks over a million and a half bags mm-hmm. until we you know, have to go back to the 1990s to see these type of levels. Um, you kind of have to ask the question, so what's the solution and, and how does the market solve this issue? And the market solves it through effectively firmer spreads. Right. So Arabica very rarely is inverted, um, partly because of the position limit, the 500 lot limit that's in place, Mm. and partly because it's been generally a well-supplied market um, for quite some time. I think in 2010 was the last time the market structure was as inverted as it is today. And then again, that was due to the mild situation and a scare that it's going to be a drought in Brazil. Today, the story is a little bit different. We still have a very, very tight milds balance sheet or washed balance sheet. We've got um, a significant deficit and we've had a Brazil crop that's been affected by a frost and a drought. Mm. So in 2020, we were um, quite lucky that Brazil had a record-breaking crop and we saw a lot of the semi-washed Brazil coffees that um, weakened to tender parity levels because again, so that's all in the differential. There was such a great crop, um, lots of supply and differentials weakened to whatever the level was to get them to tender parity at the time. I think it was something like 18 under or or maybe even lower. And we saw a flood of those coffees, a million and a half that helped to replenish those certified stocks back up to 2 million bags at the start of the year. And now more recently, because we were in this deficit, we see this um, tightness developing and there is a demand pull nearby, very Mm. much nearby for those coffees that are used partly as, let's say, natural replacements, some of those Brazilian semi-wash coffees. And you have some um, Honduran coffees there that are used partly as, let's say, washed stretches or you wouldn't really replace it one for one, but some of that is incorporated. Also, what's interesting is we've got prices 
sort of fluctuating around 20 year highs. Mm. So anywhere you can find value coffee, you're going to reach for it. You're going to want to use that coffee. And so these certified stocks in terms of what's available at destination is a good value coffee. Mm. And that encourages um, a lot of demand to come through. So the situation we're in today is the world is looking or sourcing coffee. The miles or the washed balance is still in a deficit. We're not really seeing huge crops on the horizon either. And much of those coffees, let's say from Honduras or Central America in general, um, as well as East Africa, are more or less sold to Mm. the industry. So we're not seeing a period of destination stocks rebuilding. And um, what we're really waiting for is a good crop on the horizon. So those differentials can once again break. Now, in terms of our numbers or our outlook, we don't really see a great crop on the horizon anywhere Mm. except Brazil. So this is the current Arabica crop. Now, it's not as big as what it was in 2020 because of the frost and the drought. So really the origin that could replenish these stocks would be once again, the Brazil semi-washed. But today they're not at tender parity levels. And so really the job of the market is to get them there so that you can replenish these certified stocks. So I think um, we will probably likely to see the drawdown in stocks continuing. I don't know to where, whether it'll be 700,000 bags or we say around 800,000 bags. Mm. But until we're seeing, we're not seeing those destination stocks rebuild. and We're not seeing um, a, a flood of surplus coffees that are at the destination that a roaster or the industry can reach and get for their nearby demand. We're also in a period where demand is very uncertain because of inflation, and it's really difficult to project if we're still going to see demand growing as strong as it has done um, in previous recessions as well. So it makes it harder to plan how much coffee needs to be available for the industry to roast away at any given time. So you tend to see a bit more spot demand come up bits and pieces and that's really where the certified stocks are used so until you start to see let's say the new crop from brazil flowing Mm. which we believe isn't as great this year because of the frost and the drought um you're not really going to see any of that destination stock starting to rebuild either or the demand move away from certified coffees because they're able to get fresh brazil coffees Mm. um at destination It's not helped by all the container logistic problems that we've had over the last two years, although that is improving much more um, quickly than uh, maybe some other analysts had estimated. But it's all to do with supply and demand once again. So we don't see a huge um, crop that's available to replenish those certified stocks at this moment in time until the market does its job or the structure does its job to... So the reason why you have an inversion is to try and get any spot coffees that are available out there or yeah. sell yeah. whatever is, is there in, in stock um, because it doesn't pay you to hold or carry that coffee. Mm. So we're, we're not really seeing that happening today. Um, and we're, we're waiting for something to change, really. And that's really probably going to be through the structure firming a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very technical discussion here. Um, I think my audience probably 
understands what we're talking about. Um, but if you're a casual listener, this is probably <laughs> we're getting into the weeds a bit. Um, but so I guess I will, maybe I'll give a quick little um, intro here. Maybe I should have done this first, but basically the certified inventory is what's available um, for those who don't know. Uh, to be delivered against a future, right? So if you're uh, if you're a um, short, if you have a short future, you can deliver a certified inventory to cover that short. Or if you're long a future, you can you can receive certified inventory um, in exchange for your for your long future. Um, and as as you've as you've mentioned, uh, Hannah, the the calendar spreads. Uh, the difference between those futures months tends to reflect that supply and demand in the certified inventory, right? Um, and it's it is kind of a conversation uh, within the market, um, and it's it's interesting because on the one hand, those high calendar spreads are telling you, you know, if you have certified inventory, sell it, right? Mm -hmm. It's a good price, sell it, you know, get rid of it. Um, and on the other hand, it's telling people, hey, if anybody has some coffee, you know, that's available. We need that certified inventory. So bring it in and, and certify it. Right. Um, and so I, but I don't see from what I understand about differentials and you would have better visibility into this than I do. Um, it's, it seems almost impossible to get differentials up to, I mean, uh, certify uh, this calendar spreads up high enough to, to draw out the, um, to get new, certified inventory at least at this point exactly and that it also depends on what crop is currently available and what's going right. through harvesting so at the moment you have the peru harvest that's available but that crop is very small in the grand scheme of things you know you talk sure. about four four and a half million bags a lot of that coffee will be needed by roasters that need washed coffees right. um, it's, it's a very small amount the next crop that's currently being harvested is the brazil the, the the 22 23 crop now in terms of our numbers and our projections we have a very small crop it's an on-cycle crop but it's not as big as what we were expecting so therein lies your problem because there in 2020 we had a record brazil crop this year we have a, in terms of Volcafe, one of the lowest estimates in the market below yes. 40 million bags um so that's not enough to meet those global surplus that doesn't move the market into a surplus mm. to be able to collapse the Brazil semi-wash differentials and get them to replenish those certified stocks at current prices. So right. obviously the differentials are without, again, becoming too technical, um, inversely correlated with the flat price or with the structure. Because sure. that's exactly what you want. The structure doesn't signal to the farmer, hey, hold back your coffee because it's not paying you to hold back the coffee. It's telling them to get all the coffee that you have out um, into the market. Right. Yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, the and I want to, you mentioned Brazil. I want to ask you a bit more about Brazil before we get to our, our, our price prediction. Um, but um, I, I don't really see how we can get new certified inventory until maybe the next Brazil crop or, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe if Honduras has a great crop next year, you know, as well. Um, but I'm not hearing so far, at least, that Honduras is looking to have an amazing crop next year. So I don't know. Do you, do you see it? Is that what you're thinking? Like a year forward is when we're going to see new certified inventory? I mean, it's it's a good question. You would um, 
you would hope not because then that would mean certified stocks would continue to draw down and yeah. you get to critically low levels it's really again the market should do its job there is let's say a scenario where you could have the flow of brazil coffee starts to pick up again mm. so fresh coffees right and um, and that usually happens October, November onwards. So it's those fresh coffees that meet the demand um, from the industry. And you see that certified stocks sort of stay relatively stable hmm. at around, let's say, 700,000 bags or so. Um, and the new coffees that are shipped from Brazil is what feeds that demand that's uh, there. That's a very good point. So basically, if I can paraphrase, um, what what you see potentially happening is as we get into the meat of the Brazil crop, that will that will fulfill since uh, certs are are functionally a a, a a natural replacement, a Brazil replacement, um, mm-hmm. that will fulfill the the demand that the roasters are 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 ha- feeling right now for that certified inventory. So that'll slow or stop the the draw. So, exactly. So we're in the let's say we're in the tightest period of the balance sheet at the mm. moment because you're awaiting that new crop to start flowing to the market. So until that happens, what do you use? You use what's available um, at the spot, which is your certified coffees. So it's a timing thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned Brazil a couple of times, and obviously that's a very important uh, origin for us to know in the the coffee industry. Um, And I think you had mentioned uh, that that you had one of the lowest... uh, uh, forecast in the market for Brazil, and that I think I think other other trade houses are largely coming towards your number. I think that um, everyone's kind of agreeing uh, that it's not a good crop. Um, right. Which is, you know, my bias is always I always say Brazil always produces more than everyone thinks it's going to. So I, I that tends to be my bias, but I, I think <laughs> that the numbers on the ground are bearing out that it's um, it's not good, right? Um, so whatever you feel comfortable sharing in terms of either numbers or just sort of broad strokes, how are you Mm -hmm. seeing the current crop? And then something that everyone has been talking about uh, a lot is the potential for the the next crop, right? For the, for the 23 crop. Um, I've been hearing great new growth. I saw it a little bit on my, my little crop tour, Um, but it's also been dry lately and it's, you know, there's still like, oh, maybe there's more damage. So I'm throwing out a lot here, but what are you, (laughs) what are you seeing in terms of the current crop in Brazil and, and, and next crop? Right. So, um, for our 22, 23 estimate, uh, current crop, we are using 37.6 million bags. So as I said, one of the the, the lowest estimates that Mm. I've seen amongst, um, let's say the trade houses, now, the reason we, we came up with that number or we were sort of confident, let's say, in that number is that we've done our crop tours. We've mm. also tried to or we try and spend a lot of time understanding the pruning that's taken place. So post frost and drought. So remember, there was quite a bad drought in the build up to this crop harvest, as well as the frost. And we would say more um, let's say damage was done due to the drought mm. and then you know the, the real- less dramatic yeah. but more damaging yeah yeah exactly and the reason why a lot of the let's say blossoming failed um during mm. this time last year or september last year was because of the condition of the trees and the plantations and that caused a lot of farmers to heavily prune following the failed blossoming after the frost, after the drought, and after the blossoming, that 
eventually led to a very poor on-cycle crop this year. So it's more a reflect of reflecting the poor weather as well as the higher than expected pruning that took place from the farmers. Now that's good longer term um, for let's say 24, 25 onwards, because if you, different types of pruning again, but let's say the hard pruning or the stumping or mm. effectively replanting a lot of these trees, it's great for future potential. Right. It sort of completely renovates the plantations. So longer term, that's excellent. Again, Brazil is um, one of the most important origins that where we see most of the growth in the Arabica side of things. Mm. Um, and so this type of pruning certainly helps. So we've, we're sort of expecting a bit of a slower start to the harvest this year as well, which is why we're not seeing a flood of coffee in the market, but we're, we're estimating about 40% of the crop has now been harvested. Okay. And so 40% harvest, and then it takes some time for that all to be processed and available to be sold into the market. So very crudely, we would say less than 20% of that crop is actually available in mm. the market from what's been harvested. Um, in terms of our 23-24 outlook, again, uh, we actually do see very good potential on, mm. the, on the trees. Um, very good vegetation that we've observed in the fields when, when we were doing our crop tour. It's a, it's a difficult one to estimate just yet because sure. we still early. have to go through the flowering. It's, it's interesting you mentioned dry weather. It's something we are keeping an eye out on, mm. especially in Minas Gerais and, and Sorda Minas. It's, it is the dry season. It's winter, so we're not really expecting rainfall. But one thing we've been keeping an eye on is, is soil moisture. Mm. So that is a little bit on the low side yeah. in some areas of sort of Venus. And we need to watch that because what it eventually does is cause a lot of defoliation mm. in terms of um, when it comes to the blossoming period. And we really want quite good rains when we get to October, November. You don't want very early rains because then those blossomings will effectively fail. Right. Um, so we don't want rains in August or September. You kind of want even good heavy rainfall October onwards. So it's a few factors to keep an eye on, but very preliminary, we would say over 50 million bags right now for 23-24. It's not quite a record, again, because of the pruning that took place last yeah. year, means that some of that crop is, is just frankly not on the branches to produce anything. But that's positive for 24-25 onwards. Absolutely. Um, and, and Brazil's sort of is cementing its place uh, as, you know, basically the global supplier uh, of coffee. Uh, you mentioned earlier that um, we have to kind of talk about Robusta a bit too, if we're going to talk about Arabica. Um, I had been hearing that contrary to the Arabica crop, the Robusta crop is better than people had expected. I'd heard of numbers of, you know, 23 million, something like that. Um, what do you, what's your view on, on Brazil Robusta? So the current crop, we see it as absolutely fantastic. Mm. We have a, a, a record-breaking crop. Um, sorry, there's just lots of emails coming in once. You're saying, <laughs> um, don't answer. <laughs> don't answer that question. <laughs> you know, we, we actually see um, 
a very good crop uh, on the robusta side of things, uh, effectively 24 million bags. Okay, so we wow, have a yeah. record-breaking crop, and that's up from um, about 22 and a half million last season mm. to 24 million. So we, we're really seeing the effects of um, good investment in Conlon growing regions across Brazil by the farmers. They've been getting very good returns the last few years, and we see new area coming into to, um, production as well this season. And the harvesting, which again was slightly delayed for the current crop, is now picking up and almost 70% of the way through. So it's, it's looking fantastic on the robusta side, really. Awesome. We haven't had any weather concerns, um, fortunately. Well, good. We're going to need the coffee. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I want to be respectful of your time, Hannah. I said till 10 o'clock here. Uh, do you have time for to give us your, your market view or are you do you have to run? I wish I knew, but yeah, very briefly. Uh, okay. <laughs> so where do you see the where do you see coffee prices going, say, um, in the next three to six months? What's your what's your sort of I guess that's longish range view? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's say we could have a scenario, when I say we could, um, where prices stay above $2. Mm. Uh, and really, that would be driven by um, a, a lack of Brazilian selling from the origin, mm. because a Brazilian producer, again, isn't in any kind of hurry or rush to sell the coffee that they are harvesting at the moment. Right. And they're kind of waiting for very attractive prices. So we could see a scenario where prices um, stay above $2 for longer than we're expecting to, because mm. typically you should see that hedge pressure start to build August, September onwards. But in our view, it's a very small crop and um, the farmer is very well capitalized. So they'll wait a little bit before they rush to sell that coffee. Um, and longer term, I think we'll eventually, the market will do its job. We are, we can't stay in a deficit or a $2 market forever. Right. We do have external variables that are quite important to, that we haven't discussed, you know, more than macroeconomic, sure. the move of speculator funds outside of commodities into more safe havens, such as the dollar. Hmm. And that drags coffee prices lower with it and a lot of portfolio rebalancing. So it does eventually start to get a bit more bearish. And, you know, higher prices being passed on to consumers, that's going to have a negative impact in many markets on demand. Mm. Um, so effectively, you do start to um, balance out the supply and demand uh, outlook. So let's say three to six months, um, I would, it's highly unlikely this market goes to $3 unless you get a devastating frost and who knows. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Certified stocks are still drawing, and until we get some uh, stability on those draws, we we do need we, we're likely to see the stock structure and the flat price firm in the short term, hmm. or maybe it's all done through the structure. And I, I agree with you. I think that um, it's it's not like a it's not a market that's ab about to collapse, right? There's still some some bullish factors there. So Hannah, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate your insight. It was a, a pleasure to get to chat with you uh, again. Um, it's been great. Absolutely. All right. So we'll talk to you uh, next time. Hopefully we'll have you on again. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Thanks very much, Ryan. My pleasure. Thank you for joining our Coffee Trading Academy podcast. Check out the website and subscribe to receive our free and premium coffee market reports. That's www.coffeetradingacademy.com. Again, coffee 
tradingacademy.com. Good luck with your trading, everyone. This is Ryan Delaney, your Coffee Price Risk Ninja here, signing off.